Welcome to the Luke Messiah Show. I was thinking to myself, what would Sherlock Holmes think if he was watching the Senate trial? And honestly, I do believe that he would probably be embarrassed or ashamed for the profession of investigators. The truth is that over the last week, we have come to realize, and this is something that many people said, that the Texas House of Representatives have absolutely no evidence so far when it comes to the case they're making of Attorney General Ken Paxson. And they are past the halfway point in making their case to the state Senate. Now, there are a, there's a ton of information out there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, go to my YouTube channel, other things like that. You can watch different clips of all of the testimony. There's so much that's been done. Today, we are going to take a step back in time to what the Texas House promised they had on Ken Paxton and why that is weakening their case. We have one more week to go in the Senate trial. We're going to break that down today. Let's get to the show. Anyone who's followed the first week of the Senate trial, the first of two weeks of the Senate trial, by the way, according to the way the rules have been set out in the Senate, we will basically run out of time at the end of this week. And we could see senators voting on Saturday. We could see them decide to get more testimony and go into the following week. I don't know what the Senate's going to do. But ultimately, what we do know is that the buckets of time allotted to each side for this trial have already hit the halfway point. We are into the second half of the trial. Now, before I talk about what happened during that first week of the trial, I want to go back in memory lane to when the case was made. Remember this. What we now know is that House leadership started investigating and maybe even plotting and planning this impeachment in January and February of the session. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell the state representatives. And if they had, it would have changed the way they were able to do their investigation. Because what we know is that the two previous impeachments that were done when the House voted to impeach, it took that vote so seriously that they actually let the other side come in and ask questions of these witnesses. They let other members of the legislature say, I'd like to ask this witness this question and this question and this question, so that they would cross-examine in some way, basically saying we are attempting to get some information. The Texas House has previously not seen itself as the prosecutor only simply setting up the case for the ham sandwich that they want to indict. If you haven't heard the term, you can indict a ham sandwich. It's not hard to indict somebody. You just get people to tell you what you want to hear. You tell the grand jury that, and then they indict the person. All one side, right? There's the Proverbs that, that says that he who tells his story first is often believed until he is questioned or until another is brought forth. So what did the Texas House do this time? They didn't tell anybody. They plotted, they planned. They questioned a bunch of people, not putting them under oath. So they could say whatever they want to say, and they could say, hey, it's believable, it's fact. And then they came to the Texas House. And a bunch of Republicans were saying, I don't know that I can vote for this. This seems crazy. And they're told you have to vote for it. You have no choice whether to vote for it. And then let's go to this clip just to remind ourselves the case they made to compel enough Republicans. They wanted more Republicans to vote to impeach Ken Paxton than Democrats. That didn't happen. More Democrats voted to impeach Paxton than Republicans. Two dozen said, I'm not going along for this ride. 
even though you're telling me I'm basically going to lose all my committee positions and my bills are going to die next session if I don't back the speaker up on this. But I can't go along with it. So let's go to this clip to remember what the Texas House said. This is Ann Johnson, one of the Democrats who's leading the impeachment effort, and Andrew Murr. Ken Paxton broke the law. Misappropriation of financial property, which is a state jail felony, carrying six months to two years, and another case of bribery, carrying a second degree felony of two to 20 years, and abuse of official capacity, another third degree felony, carrying a punishment range of two to 10 years. When we know, like any other criminal who wants to cover his tracks, he doesn't hand it to Paul himself. He gets a young aide, gives him the package, and asks him to deliver it to Nate Paul at one of his Austin businesses. Ken Paxton, again, broke the law. Misuse of official information, abuse of official capacity, again, an additional third-degree felony warranting two to ten years in prison. And these two articles, again, Ken Paxton, he broke the law. He received an improper gift to a public servant, a Class A misdemeanor carrying up to a year in a local jail. He again has the appearance of bribery, a second degree felony. The General Investigating Committee retained highly qualified attorneys and investigators to learn what happened. Following months of work, including interviews with every whistleblower and numerous fact witnesses, the committee's attorneys presented detailed, fact-specific information and evidence to the committee in a public hearing. The evidence is substantial. It is alarming and unnerving. When we ask our attorneys and our investigators who have expert-level experience in white-collar crime and public integrity offenses, but approach this with no mind game other than to gather evidence. We ask him if the evidence showed that laws have been broken, the public trust violated, and they said unequivocally yes. The General Investigating Committee also independently reached the same conclusion and unanimously adopted the articles of impeachment that you have before you today. Today we have more detailed rules that makes the committee structure, the workhorse, and the fact-gathering guideposts for getting this done. If what was expected to impeach was a full trial in the House, the Constitution would provide that. But the trial is in the Senate. You are not deciding facts or law today. You are simply deciding if this matter may proceed to trial. This is not the body that does the fact-finding the fact-finding occurs in the Senate, and the oath for any witness would occur well, there. Well, Chairman Murray, you said when you came up to the dais that you've heard the facts, and, and I would agree we have not heard facts yet because no facts have been established. No facts have been established. Those words by Representative Matt Schaefer on that vote, during that debate voting uh, on impeachment, will ring very true throughout the week one, throughout the first week of the trial. If you watched anything, and by the way, I, I don't have 
time. I don't want to play all of these clips for you of testimony given. I will tell you this. If you go follow me on Twitter, I have tons of clips that I'm continuing to release on a daily basis through this trial of kind of the highlights. I also have a daily email that's going out that points you to the specific best clips. You can go to lukemacias.com, shoot a contact form, make sure you're on the email list or just sign up to the email. That way uh, you will get my daily packs and email. Normally I send out an email once a week, but during this trial period, I'm sending out a daily email and I'm actually surprised a bunch of people aren't unsubscribing from the email list, but hey, that means I'm giving you information that you care about. So I appreciate that. Um, you can also go to YouTube, Luke Messia Show. It's where the podcast is posted regularly, as well as all of the audio platforms that were posted on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. But I also have two very relevant testimonies given by Jeff Mateer and Ryan Vassar and the cross-examinations that were done. Those are incredibly relevant. One's like eight minutes long, one's 12 minutes long. So you can go watch those. And I think you will learn a lot about what I'm about to say. Here's the thing, though. The Texas House of Representatives told their chamber, the Texas House leadership said he is a criminal. He committed crimes. Then Andrew Murr got up in front of the Senate and said, hey, guys, wrongs don't necessarily mean crimes. He basically changed the standard. We're going to go to one last clip because it's really important just to remember what Chairman Murr told the Texas House of Representatives would be done in the Senate trial. Let's go to this clip. The House acts similar to a grand jury. You are not being asked to decide facts or law. That is the role of the Senate. That is the role of the Senate. Murr will likely at this point come to regret that term, that little phrase he used. Facts and law. Determining facts and law is the role of the Senate. Here's what we know so far. Four, now the fifth whistleblower, is testifying in front of the Senate. We're likely two-thirds of the way through the case that the House is going to make. And all of these people have basically testified that they did not like what Ken Paxton was doing as Attorney General. And then they got together and decided they didn't like what he was doing, so they decided to go to the FBI three years ago and tell them, we think our boss might be breaking the law. And they did this on various reasons. One, we now know that there are several law enforcement officials at the attorney general's office that literally believe that they cannot investigate the feds. And they've said that on the stand. If anybody thinks that the federal government, that the FBI, that any fed has done anything wrong, they need to go report that to the feds. That's what they decided. And David Maxwell said, if we were to even investigate the feds, it would be a crime, obstruction of justice. Penley, who's literally testifying as I'm recording this right now, said, hey, it's insane to me that somebody would say that the feds potentially broke the law, and if they do think that, they need to go tell the feds. On the flip side, with Mateer and Banger and Vassar, 
These are attorneys in the AG's office who basically said, we don't like what you're asking us to do. We're just not going to do it. And then we're going to assume criminal intent on your part. We're going to go to the FBI three years ago. We're going to tell them you broke the law. They're going to have three years to look at everything we give them. Oh, we didn't really give them any evidence is what Vassar told them. We just gave them our own good faith belief. That's what we gave them. Our own good faith belief. And these guys seem to think that if six or eight or 10 of them decide that they have a good faith to believe that Ken Paxson is a criminal, that makes him a criminal. But that's not actually the criminal justice system we have. I don't know everything Ken Paxson has ever done in his life. I don't know what crimes he has or has not committed. Do you know how this works? People in the state of Texas are innocent until proven guilty. And do you know what they need to prove someone guilty? Evidence, facts, law. That's what a rule of law state looks like. But these employees of Ken Paxson's decided our good faith belief should be enough to put him behind bars. And if it doesn't put him behind bars, it will at least politically cripple him. I think there was somewhat of a belief, hey, if the FBI don't get any evidence and he didn't commit a crime, the fact that all of us are saying he committed a crime should be enough to end his political career. It didn't. He got reelected. A lot of people spent a lot of money against him to help him lose his primary in the runoff. That didn't work. They then withheld all their funding. Texans for Lawsuit Reform didn't give him a penny even against the Democrat. He still gets elected. So now they go, okay, well, he got reelected and he hasn't been even indicted by the feds for three years. These guys have had all the time they could ask for. Nothing. So then they say the criminal justice system has not been able to determine any uh, enough evidence to indict. The voters keep putting this guy back in office, so we're just going to overturn an election. And that's what this has now come to be. That is the case being made to the state Senate. It doesn't matter the evidence. It doesn't matter. As long as enough people have a good faith belief that he committed a crime, he is a criminal. That is the standard for Ann Johnson, who was a former prosecutor, by the way. Andrew Murr, these guys basically just said enough people said he was a bad dude. We should just assume they're right and impeach him for it. But what did Andrew Murr say? Facts and law. That's the role of the Senate. So we're a week in. And you can go watch the testimony on my YouTube channel. You can follow Twitter. You can sign up for my daily emails and I'll blast out a couple different clips. But guys... There's not a single person, by the way, there's not a single person on the House side that claims they have produced evidence that Ken Paxson is a criminal. He, the lawyers, the House managers, the prosecutors, none of them have gotten up to the Senate and said, this is evidence that a crime has been committed. This is proof and evidence that tells you that he did these things. They just keep having people say why they had good faith beliefs to believe that he did the wrong thing. That's the case being made to the state Senate. 
it is to call it to call it underwhelming is an understatement. I guess under under. My son has a joke that he loves telling people about underwear. And I think this is PG rated, so it's fine. But uh, he points to like somewhere and he says, what is under there? He just points. And then he waits for the person to say, well, what, what? He gets really upset if you don't say it right. But usually if he says, no, what is under there? You then go, under where? And then he laughs so hard. He's four, okay? And he just says, I made you say underwear. So there you go. You can teach your kids that joke. It's honestly hilarious. He'll, he'll sometimes like stop random people to tell them the joke. So there you go. To call the house's case underwhelming is an understatement. They promised, guys, once Mateer takes the stand, that's when you're going to know. And he took the stand and he walked away and everybody said, Ooh, I got less confidence now than ever. Well, Vassar, you haven't heard from Vassar yet. Mm. Maxwell, Maxwell is the legendary Texas Ranger. Whatever he says goes. Maxwell says, I didn't investigate the feds because I think that's a crime. I'm not even touching that. That's ridiculous. He also says, oh yeah, I did tell the house a bunch of these things. I said all these things, like they read his transcript. You told the house Ken Paxson did this. You told the house Ken Paxson did this. You told the house Ken Paxson did this. How do you know? I don't really know. That's just what people told me he did. Well, that's not what you said. You didn't say, I have no idea, but some people told me Ken Paxson did this. You said Ken Paxson did this. Well, I was just telling him what I thought he did. Well, now you're under oath. Did he do it? I don't know, is his response. I can't say that. They said, okay, well, you told us, someone told you. Who told you? He says, I don't remember. I heard it from five or six different people. So Ken Paxton's attorney says, okay, Mr. Texas Ranger, who's got a great memory, tell us one of the six people that told you Ken Paxton did this. I don't know. I couldn't say a single name. That's what happens when he's put under oath. It's a lot easier when you're just sitting there talking to the house and you go, yeah, Ken did all this stuff. Put him under oath. He goes, I just really can't say anything. I don't know anything. This is week one of the trial. I assume that over the next day or two, by the end of Tuesday, early Wednesday, the house will have to rest its case, I would assume. So we're probably just several, a couple more people away from the house resting his case. And one would assume that they would try to either change things up or bring in a strong finish. So we'll have to see who else comes up. Here's the most important thing just to remember. If the house has someone in the next 24 hours who says, I have evidence that a crime was committed, why isn't that person going to the authorities? Their entire reason for not investigating, Penley says, we didn't want to investigate the feds. They should have taken their evidence to the feds. But now that the Senate trial's going on, there's no statement that says, if y'all have all this evidence, go to the feds with your evidence so they can come after Ken Paxson. They said, well, we did do that and they didn't do anything with it. So now we're trying to use a political body to overturn an election because that's our last chance. 
That's not what impeachment was ever designed to do. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I would not want a Democrat to get impeached the way Ken Paxton's getting impeached. I would not want Dade Phelan to be impeached the way Ken Paxton's being impeached. This process is horrendous. It is an unjust process. Brian Harrison said when he got up, the process of impeachment must itself been, be unimpeachable. And this is anything but that. Now, the reality is that the fact that it was done so poorly has brought, has been brought to light this week with the trial. This is what happens when you don't ever dot your I's and cross your T's and cross-examine and put people under oath and make sure that the accusations they're making are true. See, the House didn't care if they were true. The House didn't care if there was any proof. The Texas House of Representatives said, we want to impeach this guy. The Democrats will vote to impeach him. There's only 15 or 20 of us that we need to do that. We can pretty much do that. We're just going to have an investigation and print off hundreds of pages so that we can justify it. It doesn't matter what they say. I hope y'all are in following along with what's going on. This vote could take place in the next week. By the time we come to you next week, this vote could have already taken place. We might be telling you whether Ken Paxton has been permanently removed from office and an election overturned or whether he's being restored to the office of attorney general that he was elected to by millions and millions of votes. That's what we are up against. That is the battle going on right now. And let's take just a quick break and then come back and I'm going to talk to you about some polling that the Defend Texas Liberty PAC just released. Michael, millions of Texas voters went to the polls. They elected Republicans thinking that they were going to get a certain outcome. And then you have Dade Phelan with the help of some bad actors in the Texas House who run as Republicans have literally stolen the Texas House of Representatives away from the voters and given it to Democrats. The Defend Texas Liberty Pact does a monthly Republican primary voter poll. And we are the, the PAC, and, and I'm the director of the PAC, Jonathan Stickland is the president. Uh, this is the only poll I see released monthly regarding specific issues and where Republican voters stand. Um, it's relevant because it tells you what do all of our fellow Republicans in this state believe. Uh, I do think I just want to hone in on a couple things with you here. One is that Donald Trump has actually seen a post-debate bump uh, after the debate that he did not participate in, but he has now moved up to 61% of the vote if the election were held tomorrow. Ron DeSantis is at 10% of the vote. Um, and then after that, really, no one is of consequence. Mike Pence and Nikki Haley have 5% of the vote. Chris Christie has 2%, Tim Scott 1%, Asa Hutchinson 1%, Vivek Ramaswamy 3%, Will Hurd 2%, undecided 10%. Um, so Trump continues to increase in his overall lead. DeSantis is, and as long as he is in this race, will I believe remain the second highest vote getter. And I do continue to point out that if you put people like Vivek and DeSantis and Trump together, it's like 74% of the vote. I mean, 
the vast, 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 vast majority of Republican voters want nothing to do with the moderate side of the GOP. The moderate establishment wing of the GOP is abys- is polling just abysmally low. There's a couple other questions we asked here that I think are interesting and worth bringing out. The reason I bring these up again is I want you to know that the views you have are actually shared by most of your fellow Republicans. I've been in politics since I was 16 years old, and I would always take these conservative positions and all these people in the Capitol will tell me, oh, well, that's just, that's like you. You're like a more radical Republican. You're like one of those way conservative Republicans. And I'm going, wait, if, if my view is shared by like almost everybody, then aren't you the radical Republican for having these strange views that align more with Democrats? So first, we said in the first Republican presidential debate, Fox News asked the candidates if human behavior is causing climate change. Basically, are you are you on board with Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal? Uh, this was a dumb question for Fox News to ask. They shouldn't have had this question um, in. They asked some college student to come on and ask the question, and then they asked a follow-up question to climate change. And um, 65% of Republican voters said no, 22% said yes. Uh, those 22% are also probably the 22% that want Ken Paxton impeached and voted for George P. Bush. This says, um, last session. So y'all remember that podcast episode I did where we talked about J.C. Jatan and Stephanie Click and Stan Kitzman and all the other Republicans that voted to give your taxpayer money to so to like mental health care hospitals and grow programs that are socially transitioning Texas kids and how Tony Tinderholm got up and just said, I want an amendment that says that all these hospitals can get this taxpayer money as long as they're not doing social transitioning for Texas kids. Remember that? I have an article on Texas Scorecard that was published. If you go back a couple episodes, you can watch my podcast or listen to my podcast on that. So Defend Texas Liberty just pulled the issue. Last session, the Texas House voted to give taxpayer dollars to hospitals who are socially transitioning children with radical transgender therapy. Do you believe that taxpayer dollars should be given to institutions that push transgender ideology on children? 95% said no. 2% said yes. Now those 2% are crazy. Those 2% are crazy. So when J.C. Jatan and Stephanie Click and Stan Kitzman and all these people take this position, Carl Tepper, just know like 2% of Republicans are with them in thinking money should go to these institutions that have, have any willingness to push transgender ideology on kids. That's good. So what's up with these 11 Republicans who voted to do it? Should the Texas legislature declare English as the official language of Texans? Texas, 84% said yes, 8% said no. I bet you if we walked into most of these Republican offices in the Texas House and just said, hey, we need to declare English as the official language of Texas, they'd be like, I think you're racist, which is silly, it's dumb, it's misinformed. Texas Republicans understand it. So the good news is, Republicans in Texas are very conservative. The radicals in our party are the ones who are against the English language, want to give our money to hospitals that socially transition kids, want to overturn an election for the duly elected attorney general of the state of Texas, want to get on board with all this Green New Deal climate agenda. Those are the radicals in our party. And we're opposing them. 
and you should too. Thank you for doing something this week regarding the madness that's going on. I know many of you have called your senator, texted other conservatives you know in Texas, told them to call their senators. People have asked where they can donate. I've told them to donate to Texans for Strong Borders. Uh, that's a, one of the groups. There's tons of groups out there that I've seen kind of step up uh, and, and do stuff in this issue. But you don't know, right? You don't know like, well, how do I donate? Where do I donate? I want to donate a little money. You can donate to Ken Paxton directly, by the way, his campaign, because he's paying all these lawyers. So you can go to his website and donate to his efforts. You can also go to strongborders.org. And I'm going to have these guys on uh, the show in the next couple months to talk about immigration policy, the session, um, immigration policy moving forward for Texas, things we need to do on the national and state level, things they've learned being down at the border. But they have also been engaged on this fight for Ken Paxton, just telling people that, you know, the attorney general's office is actually fighting for a bunch of immigration policy, fighting Biden's open border policies. And that's one of the reasons Democrats have been down there fighting so hard to overturn that election. So strongborders.org, Ken Paxton's campaign. You can go to either of those groups and donate any amount of money. But it's just, guys, every little bit helps right now. Calling your senator, if you know them, their staff. They can't, the senator can't, you know, call you up. There's a gag order that limits what they can say. Um, a lot of staff are trying to tell people, oh, I can't even tell the senator you called. And that's just not true. It's not true. They can tell the senator, hey, we got 500 phone calls today and they're all telling you not to impeach Ken Paxton. If you haven't joined local conservative groups in your area, please do so. That's why I, I've done this on podcast episodes, talked about why each and every one of us need to get more engaged. I know many of you are. Guys, there's a real battle going on for Texas, but I'll tell you right now, I haven't seen conservatives united like this in a long time. It's very encouraging to see so many conservatives come together on the same team and say, enough is enough. We need to keep fighting. The fight's not over. The fight won't be over in a week or two or three. There's an election coming up. There's runoffs. There's party races. There's a lot going on. And I'm grateful that I get to come to you every week and talk to you about it. May God bless you. And may God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.